0: Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. You ever heard that statement before? You ever heard that statement before in your life? I first heard this statement a long time ago when I was a little boy, and through the years, I've learned something. I've learned that it is wrong. I've learned that it's a big, fat lie. Contrary to what this statement suggests, words can hurt me. Words can bring me pain. Words can damage us emotionally for a very long time. In fact, how often in your own life have you been hurt by words? How often in your own life have you been damaged by words? I think we all, at various points in our lives, have been hurt and damaged by words. By words negative words from other people but maybe a better question to ask this morning is how often have we hurt other people with our words how often have we wounded others with the hurtful things that we say how conscious are we to the fact that our words our words can bring about a lot of damage in the lives of the people we interact with on a daily basis. Our words can damage our spouse. And our words can damage our kids and our parents and our classmates and neighbors and coworkers and friends and even the people in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our words have tremendous power. Our mouths have tremendous power. The, the tongues inside of our mouths have tremendous power. In fact, I submit that our tongues, our tongues, are probably the most powerful member of our bodies. Our tongues are probably the thing in our body that has the most potential to impact lives, our lives and the lives. Of other people like nothing else we possess and maybe that's why the Bible warns us over and over again to be wise with our tongues maybe that's why the Bible urges us to, to be cautious with our tongues it warns us to be careful with how we use these tongues that God has given us. And I'm reminded of a passage found in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs actually has a lot to say about the tongue and about our words and about how we use our mouths. For example, in Proverbs 18:21, Solomon, the wise man says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Notice, it's in the power of the tongue and those who, who love it will eat its fruit. What is Solomon saying there? Well, simply put there, Solomon is telling us that when it comes to, to our tongues, these the small tongues we have in our mouths, Solomon says the tongue is powerful. The tongue is, is extremely powerful. It probably is the most powerful member of our bodies. And James says something similar. Will you please join me in your Bible this morning to the book of James? James. I think we would be wise to consider the words of James in James the 3rd chapter. I'm going in my New Testament to James chapter 3, and James also has some things to say about the tongue and about our mouths and about words. And in James the 3rd chapter, beginning at verse number 3, James says, he says, now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths, so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds of reptiles and, and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? What's, what's James saying there? Well, James there is making our point. James there is telling us... He's telling us that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is extremely powerful. While it is a small member of the body, James says that the tongue can be a consuming fire. It can be a consuming fire. It can burn things down. It can burn down a forest. It can bring about a lot of destruction. You know, I recently read an article. I recently read an article that said that one of the top five contributors to forest fires are cigarettes, cigarettes, cigarettes that are carelessly tossed out by people through the window of their cars, but those cigarettes are still lit. A small cigarette that's still lit can burn down a whole forest. It can bring about a lot of destruction. And James says that same thing is true with the tongue. James says that while the tongue is a small member of our bodies, it has the potential to burn things down. It has the potential to bring about a lot of destruction. It has the potential to bring about some massive damage that may never be repaired. James says the tongue is like a fire, and he also says it's like poison. He says the tongue is a a restless evil that's full of deadly poison. I submit that this metaphor here, James uses, is even more disturbing than the first. I mean, it's one thing to to toss a a cigarette out of your car and and it's still lit and you realize later on you burned down an entire forest. It's one thing to do that by accident. It's another thing to poison somebody. You don't poison somebody by accident. You poison somebody on purpose. You poison somebody intentionally. You poison somebody because you knowingly want to hurt them. You knowingly want to bring some pain to them. That's why you poison people. And that's what James says about the tongue. It's full of deadly poison. It's a restless evil full of poison. And he also says it can't be tamed. He says the human race has been able to tame all kinds of creatures and wild animals, but we can't tame the tongue. What does James mean when he says that no one, no one can tame the tongue? Well, before I tell you what he means here, let me first tell you what he doesn't mean. Let me first suggest to you that when James says that no one can tame the tongue, he doesn't mean that our tongues have minds of their own. He doesn't mean that. We have absolutely no control over our tongues, or there's no hope for us when it comes to our speech and the kind of words that come out of our mouths. Instead, what James means here is that the tongue will never be mastered. He means we can never let our guards down when it comes to our tongues. He means that it doesn't matter how blessed. We are blessed. We are to be alive or how long we are blessed to become Christians. There will never be a time in our lives where we're going to be able to say, you know what? I don't have to worry about the tongue anymore. I'm 70. I'm 80. I'm 90 years old. But that's not a problem for me anymore. You know, I had a problem with my tongue at one time. I had a problem controlling my tongue. I had a problem with growing in my speech and how I use my tongue. But now I have reached a point where I don't have to grow in that anymore. I got that master. I got that conquered. I don't have to worry about my tongue anymore. James says that's never going to be the case. Never going to be the case. I don't care how long we're blessed to be alive. I don't care how long we're blessed to be Christians. We're always we're always going to have to work hard At controlling our tongues. We're always going to have to put forth an effort. We're always going to have to put forth an effort to avoid using our tongues in a way that doesn't glorify God. James says the tongue is powerful. The tongue is a really big deal. And one of the reasons why it's a big deal is because it reveals what's in the heart. It reveals what's inside the heart. Will you go in your Bible to Jesus, to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, please. I'm going to what Jesus taught. And Jesus, the Lord, said this in Luke, the sixth chapter, and in verse number 45, in Luke chapter 6, in verse 45, Jesus said, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his what? Which fills his heart. The Lord Jesus, the one who bathed the human body, he says that our mouths, our tongues, our words reveal what's going on in here. They reveal what's going on in our hearts. They reveal the intentions of our hearts. In fact, maybe you've heard it said this way before. Maybe you've heard it said, words are a window to the soul. Words are a window to the soul. What does that mean? Well, that means that words reveal character. Words reveal priorities. Words reveal our faith. And if we really take God and his word seriously, practically speaking, that means that if I have a foul mouth, then I got a foul heart. I got a foul soul. If I have a mouth that's always speaking words of bitterness and anger and resentment, then those things have a firm root in my heart. If I have a mouth that's never talking about Jesus, it's never talking about the gospel, it's never talking about salvation found in Jesus Christ, but it's always being used to talk about sports and politics and what's going on in my favorite news channel. If my mouth is always talking about that stuff but never about Jesus, then that's clearly showing where my priorities are. My mouth, my tongue, my words reveal what's going on in my heart. It reveals my faith and my priorities and my character. That's why the tongue is a big deal. But we need to add to that that not only does the tongue reveal what's in the heart, it also speaks words that can be heard by God. Not just by the people we're talking to. And so when you go in your Bible to Mark chapter 2, please, and Mark the second chapter, do you remember how in Mark 2, at the beginning of that chapter, We read about the time when Jesus healed a paralyzed man. Remember, the friends of this man were so determined to get him to Jesus that they brought him in through the roof. Remember that? They tore the roof off of this house, and they lowered their friend, their paralyzed friend, down to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. But before Jesus healed him physically, he first healed him spiritually. He first forgave him for his sins. And the scribes don't like that because in verse number six, at the end of verse six, it says they were reasoning in their hearts. They're thinking to themselves. Verse seven, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so verse eight says, immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Notice how Jesus, while he was alive, On this earth, and even today, as he sits at the right hand of God, he has the ability to read hearts. He has the ability to read thoughts. He has the ability to know exactly what we are thinking about all the time. And think about this, if the Lord is able to do that, if the Lord is even able to hear our very thoughts, then he certainly can hear our words. He certainly can hear every word we speak. He certainly can see every word we we write or text or tweet or post on social media. He certainly can hear us every time we lie. And every time we curse and every time we use the Lord's name in vain and every time we gossip. Do you know what gossip is? You know what gossip is? I have a fear that so many Christians really don't know what gossip is. They really don't know. I know that because so often I've heard people say maybe you've heard people say this. Well, this is not gossip because I'm telling. I'm telling the truth. It's not gossip because I'm telling the truth. You ever heard someone say that before? That's wrong. That's wrong. That is an erroneous way to look at gossip. While gossip often involves telling information about things that are not true, we need to understand that gossip also involves telling information that is true. It also involves going to others with information that should not be spoken. It involves going to others not in the spirit of Matthew 18, 16, where you're trying to go to some people and try to get them to help you bring somebody back to repentance. Instead, you're going to people with information because you don't like somebody. Because you got a problem with somebody. Because you want to reveal some information to other people that's designed to destroy somebody. You want to damage their reputation. You know you would never say that stuff to someone's face. But you will say it in private because you want to ruin that person. You want to say something juicy about that person to damage them, to damage their name, to damage their reputation. That's why the best thing to do when someone comes to you with that garbage is to say, how about we go to this person and you tell them face to face. I bet it'll stop right there. Because people don't want to do that. They want to gossip. And when we do that, are we so foolish? Are we so foolish to believe that the Lord can't hear that? Are we so foolish to believe that the Lord can't read our hearts and see the malicious intent of our hearts? The tongue speaks words that can be heard by God. And I think we need to really consider that because ultimately our tongues can cost us our souls. You believe that, don't you? I hope you believe that because Jesus said so. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 12? Many of you know exactly where I'm going, but let's read it together. I'm going in my Bible to Matthew, the 12th chapter, and I'm looking at what Jesus said in verse number 36. Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus said, but I tell you, now watch this. I tell you that every, that's the key word, every, every, every careless word that people speak, They shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment, for by your words, you're going to be justified. And by your words, you're going to be condemned. Listen to what the Lord says there. Notice how the Lord says that my words, my words, your words, our words are constantly being reviewed by God. They're constantly being reviewed by the one who's able to hear everything and see everything. How often do you think about that? How often do you think about that in your daily life and your daily life as you talk to people every single day? How often do you consider the fact that the words you speak, the way you use your tongue, that is going to play a huge role in how the Lord deals with you on judgment day? That's some powerful stuff right there, brothers and sisters. In fact, I firmly believe with all my heart that if we really believe what the Lord is saying here, if we really take him seriously, if we really believe that one day we're really going to give an account to God for every word that we speak, we would be more careful with how we speak. We will be more careful with how we talk to our spouse and how we talk about our brethren behind their back and the things that we tweet and post and text and even show approval of on social media. Our tongues are powerful, extremely powerful. and They're going to play a huge role when we stand before the Lord on the judgment day. So here's the final question I want us to think about, okay? The final question we need to think about is this. Since these things are true according to the Bible, what do we need to do? What do we need to do with our tongues? How do we need to use our tongues? How do we need to use our tongues in a way that will glorify God and help us avoid being condemned by them on the judgment day? Well, I want to give you about four or five things here to think about on this slide. Four or five things to think about. Four or five things we need to do to make sure we use our tongues in a way that glorifies God. First, we need to do this. First, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. We need to be wise with how we use our tongues. And I think there are several proverbs we could put on this slide that could make this point, but I wanna give you three to think about, okay? And I want to ask you to turn there in your Bible and please look at them with me. I want to go to Proverbs, the 15th chapter, and show you a couple of things in the Proverbs. Will you go to the Proverbs with me, and listen to the wisdom of the wise man Solomon. In Proverbs 15 in verse number 1. In Proverbs 15 in verse number 1, Solomon says this: He says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now please drop down to verse number 23. In verse number 23, Solomon says, he says a man has joy in an amped answer and how delightful is a timely word. One more, please. Proverbs 12, verse 18 in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 18. Solomon says there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What is the common thread that weaves its way through all those verses? Well, I know you see it. The common thread that weaves its way through all those verses, the main way they're linked together is in those verses, Solomon is saying that we got to be wise. We got to be wise with our tongues. We got to be wise with how we communicate. Before speaking to other people, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Before opening our mouths, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Questions like, does this need to be said in this moment, at this time and in this setting? Is this the right place to say this? Is this the right time to ask this question? Is this the right time to go to this person with this criticism or with this complaint? How are these words I'm about to speak? going to impact this person? How are these words going to impact this person's self-esteem? How are these words going to impact my spouse's self-esteem? Or my kid's self-esteem? Or my co-worker that I'm trying to bring to the Lord? Or my brothers and sisters in Christ, these people that I'm supposed to be trying to go to heaven with? Remember what the Lord said to us. The Lord said we need to be wise with our words because on the judgment day, he's going to bring into account even every careless word. We're going to be judged by our words, even every careless word. The Bible says we got to be wise. I got to be wise. We all have to be wise with our tongues. But not only do we need to be wise, we need to be prayerful. We need to be prayerful about this. We go in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2. Do you remember when Nehemiah was trying to go back to Jerusalem or trying to go to Jerusalem to help his people rebuild the walls of the city? Remember, he was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. And one day he's working for the king. He's doing his responsibilities. And the king notices that something's wrong with him. Nehemiah's sad about something. Remember, Nehemiah wants to go back to Jerusalem. He cares about his people. And so... The king notices Nehemiah's body language, and in verse 4 of Nehemiah 2, in Nehemiah 2 and verse 4, the king said to me, Nehemiah says, what should you request? Look at the next part. So I did what? I prayed to the God of heaven. Notice how before speaking to the king, before making a request to go back to Jerusalem to the king, Nehemiah says he first talked to God. He first spoke to the Lord. Now, when the Bible says Nehemiah prayed here, I don't think it's saying what well, Nehemiah said to the king. Well, hold on a, a little bit. Let me go in this other room here. Give me about 15 minutes to pray and I'll be back. No, what Nehemiah does here in the moment is he probably says a quick prayer in his mind. He talked to God at that moment. In his mind, before speaking to the king, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. Before saying whatever pops into my mind, I need to get control of myself. I need to pause. I need to get some discipline. And I need to talk to God. I need to speak to the Lord. I need to speak to the Lord in my mind. When someone is saying something that's really angering me and irritating me and causing my blood to boil, I need to pause and say to the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me get some wisdom right now. Help me bridle my tongue. Bless me. Help me say the right thing in this moment. That's what Nehemiah does. He's prayerful. And we need to be prayerful, and we also need to be encouraging. Need to be encouraging. I'm going to go to a couple of different places in the New Testament. I want to go to Colossians first, in Colossians, the fourth chapter. I want to listen to what the Apostle Paul, I want to read what the Apostle Paul says. In Colossians chapter 4, and in verse number 5, in Colossians chapter 4, and verse 5, Paul says, conduct yourselves as a Christian, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders Making the most of the opportunity, let your speech always be with grace. The way you talk, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, put that with a parallel text in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse number 29, in Ephesians 4, and verse 29. Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word it is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that you will give grace to those who hear. You know, in addition to hearing or being introduced to the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. In addition to being introduced to that at a very young age, another statement that my grandmother introduced to me very early is the statement of, If you can't say something nice, you know the rest of it. Don't say anything. You heard that one? You can't say something nice? Don't say anything. Unfortunately, it's a lot easier to say that statement and remember that statement than it is for a lot of people to do. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, even for a lot of God's people, it seems like Doing what that statement suggests is an impossible task. It seems like they have no problem complaining and griping and grumbling against other people, but they sure have a hard time finding some encouraging things to say. They have a hard time saying encouraging words, doing what Paul says here. Notice how Paul says that Christians, God's people, should be using their words to encourage other people. Words that edify and build others up. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying there. Paul is not saying there there aren't times where we do need to rebuke one another. And we need to go to each other and be firm at times and urge each other to repent when we notice each other in sin. You and I both know there are times when we have to do that stuff. We got to use our words to do that stuff. But none of that means that we still can't be nice None of that means that we still can't be gracious and encouraging with our words. I mean, living in a world right now where there are so many people who are mean and cold and ugly and rude. And many of God's people in this room are going through so many trials and problems, many of which we don't even have a clue about. Living in a world like that. We can serve in the kingdom of God. By using our words to encourage we can use our words as painful as it might be we can use our words to encourage other people we can encourage our shepherds with our words and we can encourage our deacons and our Bible class teachers and the senior Saints here and our young people who are among us who are facing some serious challenges as they try to serve the Lord In fact, when I think about my own life, I can't begin to tell you how many times I have found myself in rough moments. Had a rough day, had a tough day, and I was very, very discouraged, but through the providence of God, a brother or a sister said some encouraging words to me or wrote something encouraging to me at the right time, and it helped me tremendously. You ever been there before? you wonder if they could just know that you were going through something because at the right time, they said something encouraging. They built me up, gave me strength, gave me optimism. We need to be encouraging. And then let me say we also need to be honest. This should be an obvious point to us, but I think we need to rehearse it a little bit. So we go back to Ephesians 4. You're still in Ephesians 4. Paul says... In Ephesians 4 and verse 35, therefore laying aside falsehood, verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Notice how part of being a Christian, part of putting on the new self that Paul talks about in verse 24 involves being honest. It involves telling the truth, telling the truth all the time, understanding it is never, never, never okay to lie. It's never okay to lie. Young people, it's never okay to lie to your parents. It's never okay to lie to our spouse or our kids or our boss or our brethren or the U.S. government. It involves understanding that not only must we be honest with how we talk and how we communicate, but we also got to be willing to, to hear words of truth. I got to speak words of truth and be willing to hear words of truth. I got to receive words of truth. I got to always be willing to humble myself and make corrections to my life. If a brother or sister is loving me enough to come to me and tell me the truth about a sin I'm committing. I got to be an honest person. And then finally, I want to close with this. In addition to doing these things, being wise, being prayerful, being encouraging, being honest, we need to also learn to be quiet. And I'm talking to myself here first. You learn to be quiet. You remember Job's friends? Turn in your Bible to Job. Look at Job chapter 16. You remember Job's friends? Those three quote-unquote friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. When Job starts going through all this stuff, these problems, he loses his wealth, his health, his kids. And these three friends, they come to him and they want to comfort him. They want to build him up during this rough time. And at first they're doing pretty good. They're doing good when they just sit there and be quiet. When they just sit there and be quiet, they do a lot of good for Job. But it's when they start talking, that's when the problems come in. When they start acting like they know what's going on with Job and how God is punishing him. That's where the problems come in. And so Job says this to them in Job, the 16th chapter. In Job, chapter 16. And in verse number one, it says, then Job answered, I have heard many such things. Sorry comforters are you. You ever met a sorry comforter before? That's what these guys are. Here we learn from the book of Job that there are times when we need to be quiet. We need to stop talking. We need to avoid being lousy comforters, lousy with our words, saying things at the wrong time and they're not helping people. Here Joe teaches us that sometimes we need to be quiet. Sometimes we need to just go and sit. You don't have to always find the right words to say when you go visit somebody in the hospital. Just be there. Just sit down and be quiet. That's doing something for those people. Just sit there and be quiet at the visitation. Just sit there and be quiet at the funeral. Don't say false things like God needed an angel. You'll never be an angel. No person will ever be an angel. That's wrong. We say foolish things at times. Just sit there and be quiet. Avoid saying things that we don't have all the facts. Avoid thinking about the next word you want to say when other people are talking to us. You ever met somebody like that? You're talking to them and you know they're not paying attention to you because they're thinking about the next thing they want to say. Let's avoid being people like that. Let's remember, Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Our tongues are powerful, powerful instruments, powerful members of our body, and we got to guard them. We got to be wise. We got to understand that we can use them to do good or bad. We can use them to bless or curse. We can use them to glorify God or dishonor God. I got to be better with my words. I think we all can be better with our words. In fact, the best thing we could ever do with our words is use them to teach the gospel, right? That's the best thing we could ever do with our tongues is use them to teach about Jesus the Christ. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to believe in the Lord and repent of your sins and use your tongue to confess the mighty name of Jesus and be baptized. Or maybe you need us to use our tongues to pray for you this morning because you haven't been living a very good Christian life. Whatever spiritual needs you may have. We're going to ask you to come to the front